You are listening to the Type 4 Podcast, hosted by David Tosti. A show for a Type 4, by a Type 4. The podcast is brought to you by EnneagramPodcasts.com, where you can listen to all our shows featuring all nine Enneagram types. Let's get into the show. Hey, hey, what's happening, y'all? Thank you for listening to the Type 4 podcast. Before we get into the show today, I wanted to mention a couple things as I get this show off the ground. Um, If you haven't had a chance, make sure to listen to the other eight podcast types uh, from the EnneagramPodcast.com. And also, if you have any comments, suggestions, please leave them, uh, you know, I would love to know what, what wants to be heard and what, what's powerful for people and get great feedback from you. So thanks for listening and uh, we'll get into the podcast today. Yo, what's happening? This is David Tosti. Welcome to the second episode of the Type 4 podcast, also known as the individualist, the introspective, the dramatic, expressive, and self-absorbed podcast. I'm here today with one of my closest friends in the world. He's a love coach and an epic photographer and someone who I truly think is probably one of the best, most loving humans that the earth currently knows. Uh, this is my friend, Joe Polisovic. What's happened, dude? Wow, dude. That's, that's an awesome intro. Thank you. <laughs> you like that? I was just kind of, you know, I mean, you know. It's true. Uh, uh, dude, it's so good to have you. Um, we've, we've been, Joe and I have been friends for years. We uh, have known each other about 10, it's about 10 years, isn't it, Ben? Probably a little longer. Something like that. Yeah, a little bit longer. Um, Joe's an incredible photographer. We met when we were both photographing weddings, and um, he was one of the rock stars of the wedding photography world, and, and I was new couple years into it and uh, Joe just became a really good friend took me on some incredible weddings with him and uh, mostly I mean we worked but mostly we just remember the fun that we had (laughs) Uh, shooting some crazy weddings in Vegas and and all over the country actually so um, had a lot of good times since then Joe and I've become just really close friends Uh, spent a lot of time together uh, we went, went to Burning Man together. We've uh, just had all kinds of, <laughs> we've skated parking structures together. <laughs> we've done it all and, and spent a lot of time in, in many, many hours in uh, deep, spiritual, connected conversation. Um, his fiance, Denise Darlene, is my life coach, has been for many years and um, really helped me through a time when I was uh, going through divorce and just was experiencing a lot of grief and a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. And Denise came alongside of me and well, that's how they met. <laughs> um, Joe and I were actually roommates. So Joe, I thought we'd start there. Um, one day you gave, you gave me a, a call or I called you, I can't remember. And you said, oh, I'm looking for an apartment right now. And do you remember this? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. do you want me to tell that story? Yeah, tell the story, dude. I think it's fun. Oh, David. Well, I, I consider you a little brother, the little brother that I never had. I grew up with sisters. Uh, I'm the oldest of three children. 
And it was, it was at a time in my life in 2013 when I, I was surprised. My wife at the time, we had been married for 20 years, uh, told me that she was unhappy and she wanted me to move out. And I suspected that that was just going to be a, a short a short move out like oh i'll get i'll get some things working again with my business and i'll be back home uh pretty soon and i didn't want to commit to a one-year lease anyplace and and i so i was looking for a room to rent and and at that time i had some rental properties and i had tenants and i was thinking okay this is going to be really easy to find a room to rent and it was it was a shock to me it was quite difficult and I found not many people returning my calls. And I remember talking to you and I was incredibly frustrated. And I was like, man, dude, I don't get it. I, why, why, why can't I find a room to rent for a couple of months? And you were like, whoa, I, dude, I just got a new place. And I've got my kids in one bedroom and me in the other bedroom. But like, if you need a place, I can put my kids in my room and you can have a space. And I just, I was like, Yes. <laughs> if that works for you, that would be amazingly fun. Yeah, dude. Like, so Joe, so we've often joked around about, we've often joked about how that was like the best worst year of our lives, which was going through challenging things in life, but also, you know, the real gift to be able to do it together. Yeah. And, um, you, you were a huge support to me and, um, and, and just, being with the kids and, you know, uncle Joe and, and, uh, spending time with my kids. And it was so good. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, we, we got a year together, almost a year of le- uh, traveling, I'm sorry, of living together before you began traveling. Yeah. And, um, in the meantime, met Denise, who was my coach and, and then they really fell in love and started traveling the country together. And, uh, Joe, you were doing some photography work. Um, and connecting. Tell us a little bit about the, um, your experience with the dirty kids. All right. Well, okay. Let me, let me back up and let the audience know first that I'm a seven on the Enneagram. So I'm an adventurer and sevens want, they set their life up to sort of run from fear and pain. And we always run toward fun. So the more fun, we can have the better our lives seem to appear Uh, but at the same time we're we're until we become aware and awake we are running from pain and fear that's Mm -hmm. that's kind of our mo and and that that had worked really well that being a seven worked out really well for me for for a lot of years uh till i hit 40 and at 40 i sort of had a a midlife crisis of there's got to be more to life than just working for these really wealthy wedding clients. And I sought, to, I sought to find out what that deeper meaning of life was. I, at that point, had achieved far more than I ever thought that I would. So the empire building that men typically want to experience had been checked off my list. And then and I had a family, I had two children, and I was thinking, okay, well, what else is there? And as much as I loved wedding photography, David, as I know you did too during that period of time, I knew that there was a, a deeper calling on my life. And I wasn't at 40, I wasn't willing to yet say, well, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give in to, uh, to, to, to 100% finding out what that was. So mm-hmm. for another five years, then I kind of went along and was 
entered into a, a new business and thinking that maybe that was going to bring me some some deeper satisfaction. And at that time, I began reading a lot of spiritual material. And that's how I became, that's how I was then introduced into uh, to the system of the Enneagram. Mm. And the Dirty Kids, when I, when I got out of the business that I had invested in for the, during the time that I was living with you, uh, was partly because my wife was unhappy and, and and part of my wife being unhappy was that I wasn't making the money that I had been. And I was the one who kept saying, we need more stuff. We need more houses. We need more material stuff. And so as a result of all the pressure that I put on Ingrid, my ex-wife, uh, to accumulate more stuff, all of a sudden at 40, then I'm like, yeah, I don't really want to work anymore. I want to do this spiritual thing, <laughs> which I couldn't figure out how to capitalize or how to monetize. And, and so I'm like, well, all right, what if I jump into another business? And that ended up being a life lesson of learning where then as a result of making that commitment, I didn't book any weddings for 2014. So at the beginning of 2014, when I tried to renegotiate with my partners, our terms, uh, and decided to exit that business, as a, as a former wedding photographer who now had absolutely no business on, no weddings booked for 2014, Denise mm -hmm. at that time said, honey, what would you like to do? Your whole year is open. And I said, well, I'd love to travel. And we bought a motorhome and we threw all of our stuff. Well, we threw a little bit of stuff in it. We gave away a bunch of stuff. Doesn't see through most of it away. <laughs> we gave away a lot. Yeah. And, yeah. and that felt really good. And then we jumped in a motorhome and we started traveling. And as a seven, of course, I wanted to make a good impression. And I was like, well, let's go to some really huge parties around the country. And the first one was Mardi Gras. And Mardi Gras was a couple of weeks after we moved in on Valentine's Day, which I knew was going to be a good beginning to our love story. Mm -hmm. And at Mardi Gras, I, I was wearing a free hugs t-shirt that, that Denise had bought for me. And I started, I started opening my arms up to all these street kids who were like, hey, man, I'll take a free hug. And what I recognized about these kids was not very many people, the drunk tourists didn't pay too much of attention to them. And they were really open to being embraced. And I am known for uncomfortably long hugs. <laughs> and I just loved on these kids. Now, at the same time, David, my youngest daughter, uh, Mackenzie, is also an eight on the Enneagram, as many of the street kids are. They're eights. They're, uh, uh, they're kids who have strong protective walls around their tender insides, and they don't mm. generally trust adults. So I'm an adult mm. who has a camera who recognizes their uniqueness and wants to kind of lift them up and celebrate their, their look with uh, my camera. And what ended up happening as a result of just granting them human, the human dignity of my attention with them, uh, recognized that there was this great calling for me to engage with them at a deeper mm -hmm. level. As I saw them as my own mirror, really, I was in the same place except that I had a motorhome. So right. these kids on the street are generally homeless and I, I a little bit above them have a motorhome carrying all my stuff with them. They're carrying their stuff in a backpack, which I will also say is very freeing in many ways. Mm -hmm. And it's very much how I perceive uh, the true Christian spiritual call, which is walk through life with very few possessions and, and really operate from a, a heart place of love. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, you, you just made so many beautiful images from from that time and and um it's just a really really cool work so 
So one of the things that we want to talk about today, as you mentioned, you're a seven. And I think it's really interesting that you have mentioned many times, like, man, just, you know, we've laughed so many times saying how many four friends you have. Uh, <laughs> how many friends of yours are an Enneagram type four and, and that you have an attraction to them and they have an attraction to you. And, and so um, I wanted to explore that today for the listeners so that we can kind of get a sense of one, it's nice to hear a seven, right? I, I think throughout the entire, as, as we move forward in this podcast, I'm going to be interviewing a lot of different people from different types um, to understand their experience of a four and what it's like to be in a relationship with a four and, um, and, and to hear their feedback and, and what it, give, give us fours out there in the world a, a little clearer idea of what their experience is to help us relate uh, in a deeper, more connected way, right? And um, so I was, I'm, you know, we've known each other all this time, um, and and I just thought maybe we could talk, you know, and and in a way, you know, uh, sort of pass the mic to you in that sense and say, hey, you know, if you want to ask me some questions that might be good, or share, and then share some stories or some thoughts that you have. So um, one of my first thoughts was, you know, like, what's what's one of the things that's really standed out to you? most about me having known me for you know over 10 years and and all these times we've um spent both laughing and crying together uh and, and working together and all this um you know and i thought maybe you could speak speak into kind of on a personal note about me and then we can go further into uh other things you've experienced with other fours so awesome yeah. uh, i'd love to well okay so just to give your audience a little bit of context uh, my ex-wife is a four and my oldest daughter's a four and several of my close friends like you are fours and eights. So I have a lot of friends who are either fours or eights and what, what fours and eights have in common is uh, a desire not to live by the rules. <laughs> so they, you know, the fours hold a, uh, an internal ego fixation of being very unique. And a lot of that uniqueness is wrapped around the context of creativity and individuality and fashion and beauty and artistic creation. So we often find fours uh, loving the beautiful things of life and then being able to equally drop into the tragedies of life. And, right. and through all of that, that those ups and downs, uh, comes some really beautiful artistic expression. Uh, mm. Sometimes tragic, sometimes beautiful, um, but in the mind of the four, well, I, I should actually ask you in the mind of a four, what is that to be an artist? Because David, I see I, you're clearly an artist, a musician and a photographer, and you love to paint and you love color and you love fashion and design. Mm -hmm. So tell me about what it is to operate in, in David Tosti's head as, as an artist. As a That's four. a good question. You know, um, I, I think part of it that's really fascinating me right now is that I think for, you know, up until about maybe five years ago when I started really coming into a new awareness and doing a lot of personal work, um, I look back on me as an artist, you know, say when I was 19, 20, 25, 28, touring and being in a band and just being quite unconscious of actually how I was showing up in the world. Um, and how other people were experiencing me. And one of the things that I read recently, you know, as I 
continue to read about the four and always want to learn more is like this sense of like uh, living out of your suffering and essentially like a victim state often. And then kind of creating a reality which says, I'm all alone. No one understands me. I guess I've just got to go it alone. And that creates more internal tension. And, and then hence you have an artist show up, right? Someone who, who's, you know, maybe, all, maybe I already was, whatever, um, you know, one, once I'm actually in the work of like writing songs and performing them and singing and having fans and all this, you start to realize like, I just started to realize more and more and more I felt like a complete island. You know, even though I was around other people and I had a, a sense of community and I had, you know, family and friends, it wasn't like I was a loner. Um, I'm quite the opposite. I'm a complete extrovert, really. However, I think being in the position that I was, like I was in a, a band of, that was, you know, playing in the Christian community all the time. And you have like these pedestals that you're on and then you have, you have to act a certain way or really, you know, emulate the 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 sense of Jesus Christ right in your life and and that pressure can uh, sort of took me into a place of and again because I was just sort of unconscious of where what my thinking was and actually exploring my own thinking I just became someone who you know uh was just like living in a little solo head you know and just thinking I got to do it on my own no one understands me hence the individualist right so we start thinking I'm unique and I've got something unique to offer and no one else gets it. So I'm just going to make that work. And it's sort of the thing that is a consolation, right? Because the work becomes your, the thing you have most connected relationship to, right? Me writing a song, if we were just to look at it, like, you know, one song is this entity. That's a relationship. Well, I've got a relationship with that song and now I'm connected with that song and that song is serving me and I can go sing it. And now, Oh, maybe some people are connecting with me. So now I don't feel so lonely. Right. Like they, Oh, they get me. They get where I'm coming from. They get what I'm trying to say. Right. So it's, it's, um, whereas now I don't have that, that underlying tension as much. I, it's, I'm not freed of it, but I am much more aware of like when I'm in a victim mindset and thinking, oh, I'm the only one, or I'm you know alone. And actually, had a recent uh, conversation with with a good friend of ours, Chase Reeves, uh, who was saying to me that he he was sharing a bunch of stuff to him, and I and I realized sort of this underlying thing, which was, you know, uh, hey man, you're not the only one. And he went, oh my gosh, it like stopped him dead in his tracks, right? Because we forget that you know, um, we're not alone and that lots of other people have the same experience as we do. And we're not that special, <laughs> you know, these sorts of things. So, so, so yeah, I mean, as far as being an artist and, and being a four, you know, it's, it's a, there's all these dynamics and facets of things that I'm constantly learning. And, and the, the more aware I get of the way that I think the freer I am. So, um, I don't have to work so hard to try and quote unquote, fix something that's, not necessarily a problem, you know? Um, so what's been one of the things for you that stood out to me and, and it could be anything, both, you know, uh, something that you would say is lands sort of on the uh, more unhealthy side of a four or something that maybe is on the healthier side, but is there, is there something that, 
uh, stood out to you that might be helpful to hear from a seven's perspective, um, kind of what it's like for me or anybody else, but kind of nice to talk about us because we are so close. I would say my experience with fours is often an energy of, well, okay, let me, before I say that, I'm going to back up just a moment. Uh, sevens, what we tend to do, what I tend to do as, as a seven. Now, I'm going to talk real quick about there's, there's three different variations of each Enneagram number. So there's self-preservation, mm -hmm. there's social, and there's sexual. And those components I have found recently to be really more important than, than the wings that we may have. Uh, and I recently met a seven who was a uh, self-preservation seven, and he appeared so different than I appear. So I'm a sexual seven, which, which means that my energy, I've got a, there's a charisma about mm -hmm. the sexual variation of each of the fixations and I call them fixations rather than personality profiles. I know some Enneagram teachers talk about the Enneagram of personality. Uh, the, my, the most recent teacher that I've been following talks about them as a fixation. And mm -hmm. his point of fixation is so that we can understand it's looking at a mirror of what we are not. In other words, our, mm -hmm. it is all ego and our true essence uh, emerges as ego begins to dissolve. And the quickest way that I have found to dissolve ego is to be able to identify what, what, what variation of fixation that we are so that then we know the triggers. And as you said, and I love, David, that you said this because fours have such a hard time with, oh, wait, I think I'm unique. And then yet there's a whole bunch of other people who are making the exact same predictable decisions in predictable mm -hmm. patterns because that's the beauty of this Enneagram typing is that we make unconscious, very predictable patterns uh, that we're hopefully once we become awake to that reality, then we can begin to stop the craziness, the madness of what seems like our true person, which seems right. like who we really are. And it is so hard sometimes because in our mind, we're, we're like, that's all I know. That's all I know. Yeah. Who yeah. I am. That's so good. Um, you get to midlife. Yeah, think so many men get to midlife and they go, oh, there's something deeper that I need to, to, that I need to find. And that's the calling. So back to, back to four, what I would say is there's, a, there's an energy of melancholy. And this, this I experience so frequently with uh, with my ex-wife and with my oldest daughter, where they, they're, they're, it's real easy for fours to drop into depression. Sevens do not want to be around depression. We're like, hey, you know what? We'll be back when it's fun to be here again. Yeah. And, and so, David, what for me, being a photographer who got to travel around the world and who made choices frequently to go off on my own adventures, uh, I was like, yeah, if it's not fun to be home, I don't want to be here. And so for my own sake, I would go off and I would go play and leaving my ex-wife with my kids who, you know, were, were having very real struggles at home, Ingrid would get depressed. And I'm like, I'm out of here. If you start getting depressed, I'm out of here. So what I recognize about my four friends is their ability to drop into depression or melancholy, sometimes mm -hmm. for very prolonged periods of time. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I definitely can relate, <laughs> as you know. I think that's, 
one of the things that, you know, when I started this out today and said, you know, you're, I think you're one of the best loving, caring people I know is that I know you're a seven and I know you and, and don't want to be around that energy, yet you hung in there with me many times in my depression or in my frustration or sadness or grief, um, standing in the gap for, for someone, you know, struggling, reminding me to bring it back and that it is a part of my ego and, and um, you know, my own created suffering. And so <laughs> thanks, dude. <laughs> Uh, over and over, like having having a friend like that in life is just uh, invaluable, and and I'm so grateful always for you. Um, so, so what's it like for you when you're when you're wanting to run from a four who's feeling depressive, like you mentioned, like with with your former wife? What was going? What goes through your mind again? Because I want I want fours to hear this. And go, oh, I know, you know, my wife's a seven or my best friend's a seven or my coworker's a seven. And, and when I'm in that space, I, I think that we can hear things like that. Like, I, I'll just say for myself, I can hear something like that. And in a, especially if I'm in a very unhealthy space, I can go, oh, no, now I am a problem for that person. Mm-hmm. And so we, so, you know, I, here I am the four, the quote unquote individualist who already thinks they're different, unique, and, uh, and often, you know, people don't get me and I'm, I'm, so I'll tend to retreat because I feel like I'm a bummer or a, or a problem for someone else, right? So a four comes in, high vibrating, like upbeat, really excited, and then I'm, let's say I'm in a depressed space and I go, oh gosh, I don't want to be around Joe right now because Joe's like, really in a good space and i know that as a seven that's going to be tough for him or not fun or Mm -hmm. pick pick the word right so um it's easy for us to just go oh shoot now we know this now that now let's say this is someone's first time hearing this right like uh i have a friend who's a seven i'm a four and when they when i'm depressed they just want to run away Mm -hmm. how could i as a four you know be with you uh, be with a seven in a way that's like, hey, I'm feeling heavy, right? But also not be repelling, <laughs> you know? Because I think it's and and it's okay. Everybody's in their own experience at their own time. So we have to we have to lay that down as the foundation. Is that you could we could learn all this that we're talking about right now and then go out and act in the world. A four and a seven could interact and still miss each other just because of where we're at in that moment. So. Um, but generally speaking, and just being very, very general, like what's helpful for you as a seven, if I'm in a heavy space, uh, what do you think is the most, most efficient or, or um, loving really way for me to approach you so that I'm not always, you're not like, oh God, I got to go, right? Yeah. yeah. Does that make sense? It does, David. It's an excellent question. Uh, I would say that one of the benefits for, for, fours to be with sevens sevens twos and nines on the enneagram are future positive oriented in other words uh, typically we project into the future that everything is going to be better than today so Mm -hmm. what my propensity as a seven is to look at the future and i can look at today and go okay i've got a myriad of ways that i can distract myself with fun today uh, but tomorrow it can be even better. Uh, so the beauty of a four and a seven together is the seven as 
if, if the seven is average to healthy level, they're going to be able to hang in there with you and they're going to be able to, they're going to be able to be with you in your sadness and coordinate some experience to have some fun. So I remember, you know, I remember you and I going out for chicken and waffles and you know, yes. And then Roscoe's, got, <laughs> you know, went out, had some beers, you know, it, so it's, there's always going to be something fun with a seven that, that could potentially remove the temporary suffering that you're experiencing because mm-hmm. you're around some really vibrant energy. But I will also tell you that I've been, I was in a, I, I went into a, like a Bible study group one time that was a, a whole lot of heaviness. And I come in with my sunshine and it was not welcome. In fact, one woman actually stood up and said, look, you can just take your sunshine someplace else. We don't need to be fixed. Mm. So the, the problem with the shallowness that sevens operate is, yeah, we can be really fun. But when it comes to the deeper substance of life, if we're unhealthy in any way, uh, we're, we'll, we'll be with you as long as it's fun. But if we're off trekking some hike or, you know, on some spiritual quest someplace and you're, you've got some heaviness that needs to be addressed or just need to have an arm put around you, a lot of times sevens aren't going to be there for you. And, and man, I'll tell you, brother, that realization for me now, as I'm getting healthier and healthier, and I look back at the carnage that I've created in my unawareness of always making choices to, to move toward fun and go on these fun photo field trips with my guy friends when things at home were not so great. You know, I look back and I go, oh, I've caused a lot of issues. In fact, part of the four fixation, I believe, is from uh, the loss of the father's love, the absence of the father. It's pretty typical that when fours are interviewed, there's a loss of the authority in the house, and it's often the father. Um, there's, a, there's a deep, deep longing for connection with dad. And mm-hmm. where my oldest daughter is concerned is when she was born, I had just started my business. And so by the time she was aware, three, four, five years old, I had already jumped into a success that I had no idea to even anticipate and was just having so much fun that I, I was absent frequently doing my own fun stuff with my business mm-hmm. and making money. And I opened a studio and I was away from home more. And so I look back now at my daughter's trouble with um, this longing for male attention. And, and what, what she's described to me as maybe, maybe cause she's a sexual four and David, I think you're a sexual four mm-hmm. also. Uh, and, and how you know that is that, that the sexual component is very charismatic. Uh, they've got sexual energy oozing out of their eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're much more concerned with the primary one-on-one intimate relationship than any other relationship. Now I will also say that we're sexual self-preservation and social we have all of those aspects to our fixation but one seems to attract more attention and i know you're really close to the social also because i know you've always wanted this band of brothers but i think that for you takes a secondary place to your most intimate relationship with your lover Uh, yeah i think i think so too i think you're right for me i think it's definitely something that uh I've noticed it like this. I think a perfect picture is, yes, I want a band of brothers in my life. 
I love seeing a bunch of guys that are close friends, have been friends for 20 years, you know, they have all the great stories of trips together. And so I love that. Long for that. That's great. But, and so I think also I have often in my life spent very much time just really pursuing like one person that I'm going to connect with and going, Hey, I don't want to be friends with like 20 people on sort of, you know, uh, uh, a depth of two. I want to be friends with like four people on a depth of 12. Right. And, and that to me, I find more meaning in that. I find more value in that. Cause I'd rather just, I don't need a hundred friends. And I think part of that came from, you know, there's a many, many years of my life where I was, you know, sometimes I was meeting 200 to 500 people a day, you know, meeting, I mean, sometimes more, I mean, I was playing for more people than that, but sometimes I was literally meeting like high, 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 you know, promoters, people, this all over the place, um, traveling so much. And so I got inundated with like meeting lots of people that when I had just one friend that I could like call on tour and go, Hey man, what's been going on with you? Tell me about what's happening at home. Let's just talk about real stuff. That was like the most powerful kind of sense of connection that, that I have. And I think that's very true in, in our relationship and, and several other of my closest friends were just like, I've kind of gone like, okay, this guy is a great friend. I want to be friends with us. I want to learn and know this person better. So I'll dive deeper there. Um, and then, yeah, when it comes to Danielle and I, for example, it's like, yeah, I want to know her way more and spend way more time getting to know her and how she thinks and the way she feels and what she's you know, processing and those sorts of things. So I think you're right. I think very much so I would I'd identify as, as that sexual fixation, you know. Yeah. I want to bring this up right now. Explain this term fixation because I think it's easy for us to, and, and this is really for the listeners, for all of us, I think it's easiest for us to throw out terms like ego and fixation, variations of self and, and all this. And it kind of can just go right over our heads if we haven't been. And I, and I look at everything as like, I want anybody who's coming and listening to this to really connect and hear, kind of get, get the gist. So, would you just spend just a moment, and we'll, we'll stay on point here, but I, but I do want to just pause and kind of take a little sidestep and go share about fixation again okay. um, and what you mean, because I think one of the most helpful things to remember about the Enneagram is this is typecasting. It's like archetypes, but we're all fluid and we can change and we can shift and we don't have to, I don't have to, for example, us fours don't have to operate like a melancholic four all of the time, right? Mm-hmm. And and, and so um, hearing the word fixation can kind of have like immediately when I hear that word, I go, well, it kind of has like a, a sense of a negative connotation, almost like something you would hear someone being like OCD or someone having, you know, um, you know, an addiction to something, right? Like they're mm-hmm. fixated on this thing and they can't get off of it. Mm-hmm. And, and um, so I'm just curious if you could explain that because I think it's beautiful and, and really helpful. And I'd, I'd love to know more. You got it. So fixation, uh, because the, the value that I see in, in terming it fixation is if we, say, if we say it's personality, then what we experience is like your, your personality, David, is, is different than, say, Ingrid's personality. So Ingrid, my ex-wife, who's a self-preservation for, your personalities are different your fixation as a four is the same though. Mm. 
Okay, mm -hmm. so there's very predictable patterns that happen. And by using the term fixation, I know you said that maybe in your mind it has a bit of a negative connotation. Uh, that's actually amazing if we can hold that it is a negative aspect of ourselves. Right. And it yeah. is what is in place that is causing us suffering that we want to dissolve, that I want to dissolve. Mm -hmm. in, the, in the awareness of the very predictable patterns that I engage as a seven, I recognize the destructiveness of those patterns uh, as I've been doing them for years and years and years, thinking that they're myself. So I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. Uh, I, I view, I view each, each person, each individual as, uh, as true self, which I believe is our essence, which is our connectedness to source or universe or God or however, however you want to choose to describe that which is eternal. Mm. Our fixation is temporary. Our fixation does not go with us when we die. Mm. Uh, our fixation is what is, in Judeo-Christian terms, would be um, what we are to die to in order to be born again to experience everlasting life, that which is eternal. So what I've come to discover is that our fixation, or you know, if you want to call it personality profile, uh, is a mirror in which we are to see what is false about who we believe ourselves to be. And in that way, with my, with my sevenness, I say, okay, well, I'm prone to future positive orientation. So how do I, and that's all I've known, how do I dissolve that? And how I dissolve that is by being very present and grounded in the present. And not whenever things get a little bit uncomfortable or difficult to dive into fantasy about the future to unnaturally inflate my state so that I'm constantly feeling happy and 70 and, and, and that. <laughs> so that's why so many, that's why so many people, if you've got friends who are sevens, I think sevens aren't generally taken very seriously as as deeply grounded people because we're like Peter Pan. We want to fly around to wherever is fun. Right. And there's not a whole lot of trust that we're going to be there or that we're grounded. And the way that we operate in the world seems to be kind of flighty. So mm -hmm. I, I recognize that if for me, that, that, that flightiness that I've, that I've only ever perceived as myself uh, has, has, has led to an inevitably empty place within me uh that that's what actually then needs to be dissolved and by needing to be dissolved simply what i found out is that we just need to pause and be still mm -hmm. and by pausing and being still and not giving into for a four it's you are not your emotions and i have to i remind my daughter of this over and over and over it it seems like as a four you are you are just you're thrown on the emotional waves of whatever's going on inside of you. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I remind my daughter often, you are not your emotions. So that's a really positive place for force to start, to recognize that you are not your emotions. And it is going to seem like you are. And you're gonna, your <laughs> ego is going to have every possible scheme to remind you that you are. But when you can separate yourself back and you can say, oh, you, when you recognize that you've got an observer in you, 
Uh, let me let me put it this way. So what I what I heard recently was ego and super ego. Ego is like that part of uh, that part of you that wants to that wants something outside of you, or uh, that is constantly working on doing something. Like you're actively engaged in doing something. You have to, you feel like you have to achieve something. Right. Uh, Superego is the judge inside our, our head that is constantly saying, you're bad, you're broken, um, you're less than, you're not worthy, you, you're shameful, you're unlovable, that judge within us. So I recently heard the ego and the superego, the relationship that, that goes on there, which is still all going to eventually die when our body dies, is you've got ego that is kind of like you and you've got super ego that is kind of like our perception of God who judges. Uh, so you've got this you that is never satisfied, the ego part that is never satisfied, and then the super ego that is constantly criticizing the ego. And so it's this internal battle that I perceive sort of as what some might call original sin. Uh, good and evil in our dualistic thinking. We think in terms of good and evil. So I think mm -hmm. that's the easiest way to consider the ego and the superego. They're, they're constantly trying to throw you off from the truth of who you are. And the truth of who you are is pure essence, unlimited, pure love that is connected mm -hmm. one with everything. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's in the best interest to recognize your fixation as a four understand it as completely as you can so that you can then interrupt it and the easiest way to interrupt it is just to stop to stop and to drop into stillness and then to ask yourself some questions am i am i really am i really tied to this emotion mm -hmm. and then you know you're going to find when you go deep enough when you really stop and go deep no, I'm not, obviously I'm not this emotion. And then what's, what's underneath that? And then you drop in a little bit deeper and you find out what's underneath that. And what we end up coming to find out is that usually it's uh, a fear of being lonely. Uh, I know the, the twos, threes, and fours are in the image, in the image shame triad. And mm -hmm. so there's, a, there's an unlovability at the very bottom of all of the wounding that you have to come to and face for the lie that it is. So really mm -hmm. it's a lie. And, 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 our, and we're believing, our intellectual mind is believing a lie that we are separate from one another and separate from God, especially the four who has a worldview that I'm unique and I'm absolutely separate and different and nobody understands the suffering right. I've been through. Totally. You know, and so as a seven, knowing, watching this with my daughter and so many friends, I, I just go, ah, you know, they're, they're just, they're, they're, the suffering is required for right now. And once they pass through it, it'll be a little bit more fun to be around them. <laughs> <laughs> but David, yes. also that it is in my best interest to dissolve my seven by sitting with you in pain. Right. And, right, that, that's, that's where I was going. I was going to ask you, like, that's really so, I think, important and, and fun. I mean, I just find it fascinating to, to learn you know, sort of what is the value that we get? I mean, when we just archetype type ourselves as a four and a seven and say, okay, well, then you go, okay, what do you get? You know, when, when you said earlier, you know, like, I kind of want to jump ship when, when this person's depressed. Uh, 
and I felt that, you know, when in my, in my own depression, in my moments of grief or sadness with you going, I don't really want to, Joe's like one of those guys that'll be there for me, but man, he's, he's flying high. You know, he's, he's living on a high flying disc right now. And I don't really want to drag him down. Um, you know, and, and you've done a lot of the hard work that I think a lot of people haven't. And so, uh, you know, as far as doing the work to, to, to stay grounded and, and, and doing the stillness work to then recognize like, and not just jump ship. So what value do you get when you're in this healthier state as a seven to feel grounded and have a friend who's a four who's depressed, melancholic, et cetera, and say, what, what value do you get out of my friendship with you when I'm in a, in a sad place? Like, what does it teach you? What do you learn? And, and I don't know if there's, I mean, if there's a specific example, that might even be better if you think of something, but if not, you know, just what is, what is it for you that kind of makes you go, oh, I want to be around those fours, those fours. Yeah. Uh, so such a great question. What I get out of that is that pain is a part of life. It's a very, it seems like a very real part of life. Like we, in, in dualistic thinking, we imagine that it's just part of life, that we're going to experience pain. And we all do. And we all, we all do because we believe a certain set of right. presupposed ideas about who we are that causes us suffering. Um, so me being with you through your suffering and being still and listening without trying to, uh, without trying to intentionally inflate my energy so that it makes me feel better is a great process to remind me that there's, there's a lot of wounded people who uh, need this medicine. They really need an understanding of that they're not their ego. Um, you are not your ego. I, and I know that there's, I know that in the past as we've had discussions about this, you've had resistance to that idea. Like, ah, you know, so many people are talking about this, but you know, I'm, I'm still kind of attached to it and which is fine. And that's, and, and that's fine. The, attached to what? Make oh, sure attached, attached to your ego and to the, oh, right. the particular set of ways that you do life. Yeah. For me to, to be still and to be present with suffering without trying to change you or fix you in any way is a really great practice for me because then it puts us on the same level, brother. And ego always wants to separate and always wants to think, oh, I'm better than so-and-so or, oh, my life is good because that's an easy one to go to. Oh, my yeah. life is good because <laughs> your life is shit. Yeah. I was going to say, like, if you're a seven and, and then you just, and, and you're feeling it all low, just go hang out with a four who's feeling depressed and you'll just instantly be able to compare yourself and say, oh, I feel better. And your ego shows up and says, oh, well, at least I'm not as low as that guy. You know, that poor. <laughs> but David, likewise, a four will say, mm, I can't be around a seven because I don't want to bring them down. And then they right. hold the higher position of being a martyr. Right. Of course, absolutely, yeah. Victim, all, victim shows up. You know, we all have our our uh, the lies that we believe that mm -hmm. try to make us feel better about our condition, and and and, and it's all illusion. So mm -hmm. me hang, me spending time with fours who are suffering is is great because it it really then equalizes um, puts if if I can remain open. I can remain open with you and not need to try to fix you, mm -hmm. then, uh, then man, we can, we can connect and I can actually learn a great deal. That's one of the things that I learned from hanging out with the street kids is I think I have a lot to teach. 
And what I, what I learned was that by just being quiet and asking questions of these kids, that it really offered them a far greater gift than if I was going to try to tell Absolutely. them anything that I've learned along the way. So yeah. I wait for them to ask me if, if they want to know something different. Yeah, that's the practice of humility for all of us is to be in any situation, ask more questions, talk less, and see what we can learn. Even when we're, and even when I could say, oh, this is so boring, or this is not helpful, or I'm not getting anything out of this, or whatever, there's always something to, to learn. And, and we're able to relate more on a deeper level when we can just listen. I mean, my, I've been noticing that so often lately, man. Like, and you are, one of those, you are one of those friends that I have. I'm lucky to have a friend who will, if I'm going through something, or if I'm really just like, hey, man, I just need to like, talk, out, talk this out loud, you know, uh, you're one of the first people I think like, oh, well, I just instantly call you and go, hey, man, let's, you know, you have some time because I know that you'll listen and not just try and throw out some crap advice really quick or, or maybe good advice, whatever it may be, but, you know, just some, some quick fix thing. Um, we're able to relate more, you know, what a gift to have friends like that and, and to be like that, to, to have a friend like that and then to say, okay, I'm going to, how can I be more like that to them and to other people that I'm around, right? Um, so one of the things I found that was fascinating that, that you mentioned that I, I didn't really know about sevens uh, was this future positive oriented thought. And I just wanted to kind of back up there. And I, I, there's a bit of a connection. I'm, I wonder if it's connected. We could just talk about it for a second, but because um, I haven't thought about this before, but interesting that um, I read that um, fours, typically they often have sort of like a, a sense of um, they cultivate like this fantasy sort of self that um, is like an idealized self image. Right. So um, they're like, and, and I read a great thing, which I re recognize so much would be like me saying me idealizing that I'm going to be this great singer in the world and oh man, but like my discipline and my, you know, my uh, intention and discipline to it doesn't quite match up to what my expectations are of that self, which would be like a, a, a future self, right? Like this, this person, I'm, oh, I'm going to be this guy. When I'm that guy, it's going to be great. You know, I'll be happier then. I'll be more content then. And so, and then what happens is for, to, to use myself as a perfect example, I think is that you know, I might say, oh, I want to sing so much better. You know, I, I put, I've, every day I've got do vocal warmups as a reminder, for example, in the morning. Uh, how many days a year do I actually pay attention to that reminder and do it? Well, not that many, right? Not 356, maybe, maybe 80, you know? Um, and so then what happens is I kind of fall into a, sh a shame kind of space. Like, oh, I didn't do that thing again. I didn't accomplish what I said I was going to accomplish. I didn't complete something. Um, when you mentioned having like a future positive oriented self, I wonder if a four and a seven are sort of similar in that way. It's a little different language, but would you describe that future positive oriented self as, as that sort of thing? Like one day I'll get here and I'll be like this and that will make me the ultimate who I'd like to be and, and what's that like for you in that? Okay. So what I would say about that is that it's a really, 
it's the quickest way for me to move out of whatever dissatisfaction seems to be currently in my experience to mm. I'm going to plan. So I always want to plan, dude. I, I'm like, plan my next vacation, plan the next party, plan the next photo shoot, plan the next uh, time to get together, you know, to spend with friends, plan the mm -hmm. next adventure. I'm, I'm constantly on, you know, I've got a myriad of ways that I distract myself from what is, what, I, what is truly important. And that could be through listening to music or watching movies or riding my skateboard. There, I, I have countless ways that I act like Peter Pan and, and fly off to Neverland where I don't have to be present with my, my current reality. Uh, so in that way, it's, it's escapism for sure. Uh, that tends to kind of work out like, hey, I always have something to look forward to. So it's an artificial building up of the energy so that I don't go into that sad place because mm. I don't want to go into that sad or painful place. The difference is with you is, it seems like, is if you have an expectation that, that your happiness is based on you becoming the rock star singer and it's not your reality, then disappointment sets in, and then you then dwell in a continual pattern of disappointment that brings you up and down with your emotions that is very predictable. So, so, so would you as a seven... Set up. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, I missed that. Well, we unconsciously set up these patterns of right. disappointment or martyrdom or victimhood uh, mm -hmm. so that we don't have to face, we don't have to face either our shame or our our perceived unlovability or, 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 or in my case, fear. I'm in the fear triad. So fear shows up for me where I'm like, if I imagine like, hey, life is going to be great out here in the future, then I don't have to deal with my fear of what I'm currently not doing to make that future happen. Mm, that's good. And so good. Where, yeah, I sell out, where I sell out is I'll say, yeah, I know it's in my best interest to do X, Y, and Z toward this future positive orientation, but procrastination is an awesome way to postpone responsibility for, for me, I found, like, <laughs> procrastination. Then I cannot have to blame myself for doing a not-so-great job because I waited until the last minute and, well, if I'd had more time, I could have done it better. So I'm, I'm constantly setting my life up so that I'm not in that, in that space of... Uh, of pain or fear where where a four can engage and go man yeah i want to do this i'm not doing this man that feels really terrible and you allow yourself to go into terrible where i'm going to distract myself with a book or a movie or music or skateboarding <laughs> right right yeah that's 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 a great distinction there like so essentially you're if i'm hearing you right you you tend to if you didn't like if you said today, tomorrow I'm going to be, you know, the world's greatest skater, <laughs> and then tomorrow you got to tomorrow and you weren't the world's greatest skater, you would just come up with another, you know, evading sort of mechanism to then like escape and say, oh, well, I'll just be the world's greatest surfer now and move on. And then, then you don't have to deal with that crappy feeling that, that I would feel. Whereas I wouldn't, I would have the disappointment and go, oh, I blew it and shame myself or, or, you know, beat myself up over it. Um, 
and and say, well, you did it again. There you go, man. You couldn't, you know, that's a, that's a great distinction. So also, that. David, you bring up a really good point here because the four, the four is the internalized version of, of in, the, in the shame triad. So the seven is the externalized version of fear. So mm. where I'm moving away from, you're diving into. Uh, you're <laughs> exactly. diving into your suffering. I'm wanting to flee from that craziness. Like right. that has no value for me. Yeah, I mean, it's really, I mean, I think as a four, you know, it, we, want to exp- we want to understand a true self. So we tend, I think, to look through the lens of uh, our suffering to find our truest self. Like, okay, I'll be real, I'll be authentic. You know, I, I read somewhere that, you know, fours tend to, um, will be like very honest and vulnerable with where they're at, with whatever's going on. And sometimes, you know, disclose information to people that a lot of other people wouldn't disclose and that can look healthy and unhealthy. But I think, in, you know, just to say in a, in a healthy space, it's like, I want to, ex- I want to share things with people to, about myself that's maybe vulnerable. One, because I might have more connection with that person. I know if I'm vulnerable, that often people will go, oh, okay, like this guy seems like he's open and, you know, he shared something dark with me, so to speak, or something heavy or something real. And then I'm able to, process through by sharing it or by speaking it out loud and say here's where i'm really at but i'm i'm kind of going through this tunnel if you will like all or the door i'll use the door you know i'm, I'm choosing the door of suffering to go through and, and find my truest self or like that essence that you're talking about and and explore that and it and it can look healthy and unhealthy there can be the really dark sort of heavy um over-processing, looping in cycles of anxiety or these types of things to, to, but, but when it's in a healthy space, you know, I can really sit with something and go, wow, like, you know, and I might feel heavy, but I'm not in a traumatic grieving place. For example, I'm more in a space of like, oh, this feels heavy, but like, okay, this pain is, te- this, this heaviness is showing me something. So let me listen to it. Right. Um, and so, so now as you've moved from you know, in, into a healthy seven, or at least it seems from the outside over here that um, you're quite a healthy seven. And now what do you do? Uh, what, what would be the way that a healthy seven explores, uh, you know, deep self, right? Like, yeah, w- w- without like evading, because I, I want to make sure that I'm clear that, that not evading or just escaping to the next thing that you didn't complete but instead, instead, what, what's your go-to to explore that? Okay. I, now what I do is I recognize the, I, I, well, one of the things that, that Denise and I do is we teach our students to name their ego. So I've named my ego Joey, which is the, the name that I had when I was a kid. And, I, and, and my Aunt Betty actually still calls me Joey. It's so funny. My buddy Parker and I, we, we do this Boston <laughs> accent thing. He calls me Joey and I call him Paca. And, 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 and so anyway, Joey stuck for my ego. And I, I also called it photo for a little while because when I was Joe photo in the, 
in the photography world, man, I was super attached to ego and, hey, look at me, you know, validate me. Uh, I, need, I, I need your attention. I need you to tell me that I'm okay. So what I do now, David, is with, with this awareness, I, I don't, I, I'm no longer, I'm no longer planning for this future positive thing. Uh, I'm, I'm being become, I've become very settled in, in the present and I'm not trying to hype myself up with this is going to happen in the future. Now I've got a couple of things that are coming up that are exciting, but I'm not giving my daily energy to those things to artificially pump mm -hmm. me up. Uh, I'm also recognizing the lie that I believe sevens want more and more and more and more experiences. They want more and more. They want more of a high. And I'm, I'm recognizing my propensity to move into that place. And so I'm not doing that either. I'm not pumping myself up with um, that I need anything else, that I need anything outside of me. And then, and, and then also that, um, you know, this escapism into the future, just being very present. So uh, also, gosh, man, part of my sexual sevenness has, has been this fantasy of there's a lot of women out there that I could be with. And that's a fantasy I've held for a really, really long time. And what, the, way, the way that I have worked against that part of my fixation is by committing to one partner. And so you, you mentioned Denise is my fiance now, and you know the battle that I've had in my head about harming Denise with this idea of, oh, I could be with all these other people. And, and really, my ego believes you know, I could be with a whole bunch of people. And that seems like a very compelling fantasy. It seems very real. And so to dissolve that part, that, that untruth, because, dude, I have, I have two younger sisters and I have two daughters, and I, I don't want to be that guy that's harming women, selfishly taking um, I want to be, I want to be a man who is in alignment with, with his true essence. And I, and I, so I recognize the lie that my ego says, Joe, you could be with all these other women and sort of dangling this carrot out in front of me. And so I made a commitment to ask Denise to marry me. And it, and it took five years, it took five years because I had for the 20 years that I was married previously you know, in my mind, so often I'm like, you could be with all these other women, you could be with all these other women. And my true essence, my true self was like, that's not a good, that's not a good space for you. That's going to be harmful for your spirit. And so I, I, I didn't, I didn't physically ever act on it, though in my mind, I went there thousands of times. So yeah. uh, being very present with my current reality <clears throat> and celebrating that I'm making a choice to limit to limit all my future positive possibilities is the way that sevens dissolve their fixation. Ah, that's cool. Wow. it's helpful. And so if you were to, now if we just stayed on the sexual side of a four, cause I think it's really, that might be really helpful to, to dig into. I think that, you know, we're talking about sexual energy, not, not just uh, like sexual attraction. As, Correct. You know, when people hear that term, I just want to break that down a little bit and, and sort of um, think about 
and, and share and explore what that's like for a four. So, so in that, cause I think it's really cool that you have the experience of, of like having been married to a four for a long time, a self-preservation just, four. Okay. So, so t- tell us about that. Tell, tell me like what that's, all right. That looks like a little bit, and again, really contrasting as a seven. Like I want to, okay. I want to make that the the focus there. Like how that was for you, and and what that's like. So I think the easiest way to explain this is instead of instead of what we commonly say is I love you in relationship, right? You know, you say to Danielle, I love you. Uh, it's much more accurate for us to say I trade you, I trade you this for this. Because love is selfless and it's not possessive. Mm-hmm. It is patient. It is kind. It is, it is not at ever selfish. So if we say, I trade you this. So in my relationship with my ex-wife, Ingrid, who's a self-preservation four, the sexual four uses sexual energy to get something. So what I do is I use my charm and my charisma to get everything from upgrades on plane tickets or (laughs) whatever it happens to be. I can charm to get out of something in, in grade school. It was my teachers like, Oh, but I left my homework at home because, and I'd have this story to tell sevens are also their, their way of talking is storytelling. So Mm -hmm. I will sometimes go into uncomfortably long stories (laughs) that that seem to make a lot of sense in my mind. Uh, Where's where, where, where's a, that's a thing I think we're very similar in. <laughs> crazy. So what I would do is I would charm my way through things. So with Ingrid, my ex-wife, a self-preservation four, who she uses her four energy around, um, around security and stability. Mm-hmm. I use my seven sexual energy around excitement and adventure. And so I traded Ingrid, I traded her my enthusiasm and strong desire for fun and adventure to to pull her out of her overwhelming sense of security and nesting and and safety. And so I, I saw her as a place where I could come together and say, oh, all right, good. She provides, she's going to provide a great, great place for being a mother of my children. She provides stability for me to have a home base to fly off to. Now, I had absolutely no idea about this until just recently. So looking back, looking back, I go, oh, okay. I was trading her fun and adventure for stability and security. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening is in relationship, this is what we do. We look for somebody to match something that we, we value or need. And in that way, what I needed was some, some stability. I've always been looking for stability. But what that stability with, with Ingrid was, I thought she was going to be a great mom. And she was going to be stable. And unlike me, who was constantly looking at other women going, oh, I'd like to be with them. Uh, I knew that Ingrid was going to be stable and I was really secure in my relationship with her. In, in other words, David, I knew she wasn't going to um, be attracted to some other guy and fly off and leave me with bills or kids or whatever it was. I was going to be mo- the one more prone to doing that. So I would never be in a relationship with a sexual seven because I could never trust them. 
I couldn't trust myself. Like I always knew that if that was going to, I always thought that that was going to be the one way that if I was going to destroy my marriage, it would be because I was going to have an affair. And what I came to find out was <laughs> no, by flying off and, and being authentically myself as a seven, that which was most attractive to Ingrid when we first got together became that which was least attractive to her later. And, and I would say the same for me, where I was like, oh, I'm so turned on by her groundedness and her sense of security and responsibility. That then became so boring to me later, 20 years into our marriage, where I'm like, oh, come on, let's go have fun. And she's like, come on, can you just be grounded? Uh, ended up uh, at a place where I was not willing, I was not willing to shift out of that place. And I finally was like, nope, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut these ties and I'm gonna go do my own thing. Mm -hmm. And that's when I found myself living with you and that's when I found myself meeting Denise and you know, recognizing like, oh, okay. My fear at that point, David, was am I gonna be able to take care of myself? Am I going to be able to take care of myself? That seems like a crazy fear as a 45-year-old man. Like, uh, can I take care of myself? What I found, interestingly, was not only can I take care of myself well, but all the stuff I thought I needed fit in one small 8-foot by 10-foot bedroom. Right? All of my <laughs> very favorite material yep. stuff. Not my relationships, but my, my favorite material stuff, my cameras, my computers, my TV, fit in one room. That was shocking to me. And then I recognized also, whoa, I don't really need to be alone so much. I just don't need to be around, well, let me finish that, around my wife who has judgments upon how, what I'm doing when actually, in fact, I really did. In, in, on, in all honesty, I could have, had I stuck it in with Ingrid and been around her more and worked on this Enneagram dissolving, would have been, would have been ahead of the game, but that wasn't how it turned out. And I, yeah. and, I, and I needed to have this experience with Denise, who I trade Denise, my fun and energy and excitement for her deep grounded peacefulness and helpfulness. Denise is a two on the Enneagram. And so I was like, whoa, I was so attracted to the spiritual development that she had and her grounded peacefulness. So where this comes into play for fours, what I recognize with, with, um, with my oldest daughter is this push-pull in relationship where commonly it's reported for fours that when they're in a relationship and they get, they, when, when the relationship is far away, it looks so compelling and so beautiful and they want to bring it close. And then when it's close, they see the imperfection in it and they see the uncomfortableness in it and then they unconsciously want to push it away. Is that, has that been your experience? Is that what you would say your experience has been? Yeah, generally. I mean, I think it's because I'm, you know, creative and imaginative and, and, you know, can step into that fantasy space. I think it's easy to sort of make up something that's like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And, and I just have this overwhelming sense of emotion that, again, classic, you know, classically would, would override all of what actual reality might be or whatever the, the reality that I'm creating is something that's sort of heightened and, and more fantasy driven. And yeah. And then when you get in it, you go, Oh yeah, this is like, this is okay. This is what, this is what it really looks like. And then you can really struggle with, is this what I want? You know, and is this what, is this what I need? Is this what I want? Do I enjoy this? Do I not? You know, and go down the path that it's, uh, yeah. 
<laughs> so for you, so for you in relationship with Danielle, who's a three, mm -hmm. what would you say you trade Danielle and what does she trade you? Mm, that's a good question. So I would trade, you know, this sense of like freedom and creativity and, you know, I'm pretty wild at times and, and like to um, be very outside of the box, so to speak, and not structured and don't play by the rules. And she is a rule player, uh, structured, organized. Um, and so she brings me back to that grounded sort of space of things that I, a perfect example is like, I don't enjoy doing dishes. It's not fun for me. Actually, I hate, I don't hate it now. I used to actually really hate it. Like it used to piss me off when I had to do the, the dishes, you know, like sit there and like, and the reason was, is cause I'm thinking there's so many more interesting things I could do with my time here on earth than washing those dishes. And it also probably stems back to my childhood being like yelled at about not doing the dishes or something. But, but, um, I remember one time she said, you know, I, and I, I think you and I've had this conversation too, where you said, you know, I actually found kind of a meditative practice by doing the dishes. Right. And Danielle would say a very similar sentiment about that. Um, she'd say, you know, I know I'm doing this work and it's going to give me a sense of peace when I see the kitchen clean, when the counters don't have a bunch of, you know, dirty dishes on them. I feel a sense of peace. Right. I would agree with that. I, I would say, oh yeah, I feel great. You know, it's nice to see a clean kitchen. Um, but it also doesn't bother me all that much when it's not clean. So she brings this sort of sense of like, like if you do this work, like it will, you know, it will, it's a, it's a humbling thing. You know, you're like just washing dishes. Like you're not better than anything. Right. I think it's the same thing with, you know, someone who's a janitor or and if you, if you spend time actually cleaning your floors and like scrubbing the wood floors and like putting the polish on your wood floors, we have a sense of like pride now for this thing that we get to walk on called a floor. Um, if you don't ever, and you just always have someone cleaning the place, you, you lose connectivity to that. And you just think, Oh, I don't know. I don't have time for that. Now you, now the one day your cleaning person didn't show up and you got to clean your floors. You're like all irritated and annoyed. And so with Danielle, I've learned, a lot of what she's given me is like this sense of structure and, and um, slowing down. And my, you know, I'm very much an extrovert. So I want to like, I mean, half the time I'm like, oh, what are we doing? You know, what are we doing tonight? It's, I got very programmed being a singer in a rock band for 10 years, playing 250 shows a year, like to have a high every night, meaning a high, like, like I'm going to get on stage, I'm going to exert this energy and people are going to give back to me and I'm feel really good. And, and then they're going to come up to me and say, you were really great. And the ones that didn't think I was really great probably didn't have it in them to like tell me I wasn't great. So I mostly only heard, hey, you were really awesome. And I would go, cool, self-validation. This is awesome. And um, fast forward to now being years and years since I've been doing that, I've slowed down. I can enjoy, you know, Danielle brought a lot of things and she would do simple things that I would at first kind of resist like, hey, you, like, what, you're watching a movie here? Here's a blanket. And I go, I don't need a blanket. I'm fine. I'll just sit down here on the floor. And she'd go, yeah, but like get cozy, you know, put some pills. And she'd like sort of caretake a bit in ways that I wasn't doing that for myself. And so there's like these, and, and I just bring that up to say that like, for me, that was a very grounding, like slowing down, taking care of just enjoying a simple moment mm -hmm. that maybe I would just be like, yeah, whatever. Let's just watch the show and move on, you know, or, or I don't really feel like doing that, or I don't want to wash the dishes. They're not, it doesn't matter. So we deal. Um, and there I'd let it go or something. So she, she brings a lot of value to me and, 
in a sense of methodically and and um and and teaching me about how to like be more organized or linear or completing a task you know one of the things i've been working on in my life for i don't know over the last year specifically is completion you know and that's why i'm frustrated with music right now is because i've got lots of things that are like 80 percent there and nothing's completed right but in other areas of my life i keep catching myself saying like oh there you went and did it again you you did you cleaned the entire kitchen but you left one pan on the stove that wasn't clean i'll like start to leave the kitchen and go why did i oh my god i did it again you know and so i've just been noticing those things and she brings a lot of that to me which has been really helpful and i've learned a lot but from it you know i'm grateful for that absolutely Awesome. Yeah, this this idea of trading in relationship is one of the well, it's one of the concepts that that Denise and I are teaching. And yeah, it, you know, when we talk about what what love really is, and we call it a new paradigm of love, but it's really it's it's the original intent. It's just it's gotten hallmarked so much uh, and confused through Disney stories and fairy tales and things like that. Um, that it it seems more authentic for us to say oh i trade you this and i trade you that and there's no shame in 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 that that's a good that's a good point that you bring up you know because i i think i think it's easy for us especially in our world to you know relationships we want to kind of put aside that we think economically about everything especially as americans in our capitalistic world right we think everything economy you know i'm going to give you five dollars you're going to give me a really good coffee um in relationship, we can kind of forget, un be unaware, forget, or just push off this idea that like there's an economy happening here. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, one person feels like they're giving a bunch and the other person is just receiving and, and, and essentially taking and not reciprocating. Then we find the imbalance in, in, in a relationship and someone says, hey, I, I'm out. I don't wanna be here anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so when you say trading, I think it can be easily you know, we can hear that and go, Ooh, wait, wait, what do you, what do you mean by that? You know, what does trading mean? But when you break it down, like you did, it's really helpful to understand that. Yeah. You know, you're giving to one another these beautiful things that you have to offer. And um, when you're constantly in that, and like you said, love is never self-seeking. So when it's just, I'm just going to do this thing to give and it's going to be authentic. Um, the relationship you know, and I know that's what you guys do and I've experienced it, you know, face value and, and, um, and being all the conversations we've had and all coaching work. And it's, it's so helpful to, you know, be reminded that we're, you know, we're here to, to give an exchange, you know, of, of love and what does that look like? And, and then we see the value in one another um, more and more as we do that. And it's not just about what value do I get out of a friend, right? But it's cool to acknowledge it. It's cool. I, 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 I'm at this point in my life where I really enjoy saying, hey, thank you for doing this thing. I see what you did there. And it, and it means a lot to me. Thank you for that. You know, and people go, oh, cool. I feel seen. I feel heard. I feel like you noticed me. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think it's what most of our a lot of our suffering comes from just feeling like we're not seen or the things that we did, you know, like most people's complaints in their jobs is, Hey, you picked on this one thing that I did wrong and there was 50 other things that I did that were awesome, but we only mentioned one of those 50 and then we picked on the three or four that were, you know, not, uh, 
not good or, or mistakes that we made. And so, you know, so powerful to see, oh, this is what I'm going to trade you today. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to give this back, you know, I'm going to give what I can um, to you and, and you'll, you'll reciprocate when you want, you know, right? And then, and then you find joy in that. So it's, that's really cool. So let me ask you what, uh, as we kind of wrap up here, and thank you so much for being in this conversation with me. And we'll, we'll unfortunately for everyone else, I think out there, we'll have like 150 more uh, conversations. Well, I'll have to have you back on and we'll, we'll dive, dive deeper. Um, but what's a good place for people that are listening that have uh, been with us today to experience you and if they're interested in working with you and Denise um, in their own relationships and what, what they're working through, whether it's individually or relationships, because you guys, I know you do both. What's a good way to, for them to find you and reach out to you? Well, the best way to reach out to us is through our website, newparadigmoflove.com. We just created a YouTube channel that is also same name, New Paradigm of Love. And we'll be adding to that pretty regular um, in meditation a couple of weeks ago. I, it became really clear to me that I am to be broadcasting love. And that that's, you know, David, this journey is so interesting where I thought, <laughs> here's, here's where that future positive orientation gets me in trouble. Several months ago, I thought, we're going to, we've been sitting still for a while. Let's do a hugging and helping tour around the country. And I kind of spent a couple days mapping out all these cities that I wanted to go to. And I thought, all right, great. This is something we're going to do this summer and fall, kind of pick the random dates. And then I thought, all right, we're just going to fill in these dates as we go. Mm -hmm. And we started... And I didn't have really hardly anything planned. And we ended up like dropping into our, our second location and we've just kind of stayed here. And we just, I postponed the whole thing. I wasn't, I was clearly wasn't ready for it. And so then Spirit said, okay, Joe, well, you can reach out to people through broadcasting online and maybe even reach larger audiences than you would be if you were on a tour in your motorhome. So mm-hmm. that's, where, that's where we're at now. We're going to be consistently, and here's, here's my challenge also, is starting and then being <laughs> bored with something and trying to start something else without completion. Right. So I'm actually now committing to, in this dissolving of my seven energy, is committing to, okay, I'm going to be broadcasting love several times, several times a week and also considering the idea of doing Facebook Lives meditating three times a week just for 10 minutes maybe at noon pacific standard time um, and then just doing a facebook live with holding a sign in my lap that says hey you know join me collectively in meditation uh, where i'm finding the the greatest value in my life is being still and i'll tell you for a seven one of our issues is monkey mind and and i've it's always been so hard for me to meditate because being in my head is so fun <laughs> that to be still, I've, I've just, why? Why do I want to be still? Why do I want to be still? Because that's an avoidance strategy for being with my disappointment and being with my fear. Uh, now where I'm just, I'm not attaching to any of the fear or disappointment and I'm just being able to sit and be present with it. So that's what I w- would also like to be, I think in, in, in a very easy way, uh, I can start inspiring people to pause. And I know that this is a this is a theme that you and I have talked about in, 
in length for the last five years, slowing down our lives so that we can really be with that which is most valuable and eternal. And uh, now that I'm not so future positive oriented and I'm actually sitting with my fear, you know, David, part of my fear has been, who's going to take me seriously as a love coach? Like, really? I'm a wedding photographer. But here's the thing. That's the lie that prevents me from stepping into my calling, from stepping into mm -hmm. that which many, many people are asking for. Uh, the, the calling alone for men in midlife is it's, it, it's enormous because once you get to the three ideal of individual, you know, individual rugged individualism and capitalism and everything's about success, once you get past that, then what? And so mm -hmm. many men are in that place of midlife where they've had disappointment after disappointment after frustration after disappointment after failure. And they're like, what is this life about? So Denise and I, though we work with men and women, we work with couples, we work with singles, uh, are, it seems to be that we really have a heart for men who are ready to unburden all the weight that they've been carrying of disappointment and introduce them to a brand new and very free way of living. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, you guys do it. That's what you do. Like I've, I've experienced it and I would tell anybody in the world how great you are and, and how powerful it's been um, and looking forward to the work that we'll be doing more together. So, well, thank you for being, being here. Thanks for the conversation, dude. So good. Always uh, love you tons. And um, <clears throat> thanks for giving us a little perspective of a, a seven working with a four. Right thanks on. everybody for listening. We'll look forward to seeing you on the next podcast episode. Until then, love and peace. Thanks for listening. Feel free to send questions or ideas or feedback to type4 at enneagrampodcasts.com. And make sure to subscribe to the show. And if you would like to support this collective, head over to enneagrampodcasts.com and find out different ways to support the shows.